Hey, welcome to Pumpkin Spice Podcast, Episode 5. Before we get going, though, Graham, what were you saying before this? Oh, yeah, we were just talking about this weird 1989 movie called Wired, which is a biopic of the late John Belushi. And it, it is so disgusting in the way they portray him, and it's awful. And if you're curious, um, I would say check it out, recommend it. But if you are a diehard John Belushi fan, stay away from it. It will really piss you off. Now let's get in to Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. To the best I can describe, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5 is about Freddy Krueger again attacking these Elm Street kids as usual. Um, we have the leftover characters, um, Alice, right? And yeah. Alice becomes, well, let me just say at the very beginning of the film, we see Al- uh, Alice having sex with her boyfriend and somehow the guy is sleeping during the sex and Freddy takes over. And Freddy Krueger impregnates a teenage girl. This is where we start off with. Yeah. Um, this is just how we start the film. Um, so already we got, we got some big, uh, some big warning signs here, Rob. Yeah. Huge warning signs. You know, like I, if I were in the theater, I'd probably be like, Oh, Jesus, and try and sneak into something else. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I maybe actually the opposite. I would have stayed just because I love bad taste and I just want to see how far people can take it. And this one takes it, um, uh, pretty far, I would say. Yeah, that's um, a better answer. <laughs> um, it's definitely, gosh, go watch it for a shock value because I think by today's standards, it's not shocking. It's just bad taste is the best way to describe it. And if you're into that thing, or if you or if you like just looking at an interesting specimen of cinema, go watch number five. It is, in my opinion, the worst in the series, but there are some great things about it, that being said. Um, but anyway, let's get back to the plot. So Freddy is basically terrorizing these kids as usual. Um, but we also have Alice that is pregnant with Freddy's child. Um... There's the whole thing about the baby dreaming, and that's why she keeps getting, like, sucked into other people's dreams. That's right. Yeah, Rob has seen this more recently than I have, um, and, uh, yeah, I guess you're right. I'm just thinking of the boy that played. Yeah, and that's uh, all in the dreams. That's right. That's right. That's yeah. right. And he doesn't look anything like Freddy. No. <laughs> well, I guess until the end, because they do put the makeup on the kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, there's... Okay, so Rob is right. The The child's not actually born um, until sort of the end of the film. Um, and it's sort of kind of reminiscent of uh, The Fly, if you remember that birth scene with uh, Gina Davis uh, with the maggot. I, I think yeah. that's probably my favorite birth scene. And just a, a real uh, FYI, the doctor in that scene is David Cronenberg himself. Oh, Mo- nice. Moving on. I'll just get on a tangent. Uh, Of course, Freddy goes in for the kill. And if I remember this right, Rob, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, The kid pukes something onto Freddy and that ends up ripping Freddy apart. Yeah, it's all still in the dream, though. All of these things are happening like in and out of dreams. And the kid is like nine years old in the dream and pukes on Freddy because... Amanda Krueger convinces uh, the child that Freddy's the bad guy and he has manipulated her and he needs to be on the side of Alice. So when Freddy's about to go for the kill on Alice, 
he convinces Freddy to come talk to him because he doesn't need the mom. He wants to learn from the dad and then vomits on Freddy and it splits Freddy in half, essentially freeing the side of the child from the Freddy genes. Oh my gosh. It is a scene that will pull at your heartstrings. Well, and there's something that I think I should clear up. It might seem like Graham's a little mixed up or that I'm saying a different side of the story here, but it's no, all of these things happen in the movie, but it's not written well. So you start realizing at certain points, and it's supposed to be this big plot reveal, but that the baby's been dreaming in the womb, which is why Alice has been having these crazy situations where she's been able to see into other people's dreams, even though she kind of already had that power. Well, and it just doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. And, and Rob, you really hit it. The script doesn't make any sense at all. And if we want to get into the hectic schedule that this uh, film had, um, this movie, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, started shooting in March and was released in August. That's insane. New Line has been known for putting odd schedules on Nightmare on Elm Street films, but not like this. This is stupid. I even like a, a veteran like Steven Spielberg could not pull that off. That is hardly any time to prepare a, a script, let alone film a movie and edit it and get it out to the audiences by August. That's just insane to me. Well, um, if you look at you just look at the credits as the movie starts, uh, as it starts, you've got screenwriters. You know what? One, two, three, four, four to five different screenwriters. David Chow, John Skibb, Craig Spector, Leslie Bohm. Yeah, that's a telltale sign that you're watching a horrible movie. When the credits start to roll at the opening of the film, and if there are more than three or four screenwriters, typically you're going to be in a lot of trouble for the next two hours. Well, and it just gives you an idea of why it's so hard to comprehend everything that's been going on in the film, or even like why you're still sitting there trying to piece together obvious plot holes yeah i mean this is a film that started shooting with an incomplete script um they were finishing it as they were making it and um sometimes that works i'm trying to think of an example right now but i can't um and sometimes that doesn't and this is a clear case of it This one was directed by Stephen Hopkins. Uh, the second time that they pulled a non-American to direct a nightmare film. He, this guy was British, whereas Rennie Harland was Finnish. But uh, Hopkins directed Predator 2, and uh, he had a background in illustration. Was that right? Yeah, that's correct. He started out in art design. And I just want to say real quickly that, uh, Rob, controversial statement, I actually like Predator 2 more than Predator 1. Really? Yeah, I know. Um, I get a lot of shit for that, but I think that going into the city was a natural progression. I thought it was awesome. And I thought the characters were a lot more enjoyable in the second one. They're really diverse, and um, they're just not a bunch of meatheads in the jungle, you know? And that's cool. Don't get me wrong. I love the first one. But to add a little controversy to our episode here, I, I prefer number two. Well, hey, if you want to hear Graham's thoughts on number two even more, then uh, visit our Patreon page. 
Send us a review on iTunes. Yeah, we'll we see might, what happens. We might have to do a bonus episode about the Predator movies. Um, oh, dude, we are racking up the bonus episodes. People want stuff more than just, I guess, the Halloween season. So we'll see what happens. People, we're going to have so many bonus episodes, we're just going to start calling them episodes. Yeah, probably going to happen. Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, but we sort of ha- had, let's see, four different... Um, sets of characters in these Nightmare and Elm Street films. So, um, for example, in Nightmares 1, 3, and 7, that's all the same cast. So you've got Nancy as your front runner. As the main protagonist. And then 4 and 5, you've got Alice as the main protagonist. 2, you've got Jesse, which, as you quoted, is a Nightmare on Elm Street film on Mars. And uh, yeah. 6, which we are about to get to next week... It's just a unique cast of characters all on its own. I I, I don't want to jump uh, ahead too much, but I love the cast from Nightmare on Elm Street Part 6. I think they're oh, amazing. Great. And um, this we in this movie, we see uh, Freddy's son. In Freddy's 6, we'll visit Freddy's daughter, and it's a much better story, so be prepared for that. So yeah, those are the cast members. In 2 and 6, the main issue is that they wipe the story slate clean. Yeah, they forget those characters even exist. The only two characters to survive number 4 and make it to movie number 5 are Alice and her boyfriend. I cannot remember his name. Uh, Graham, his name was actually Dan. Or Dan the Man, if you're a big fan. That's true. And in this one, they had some additional quirky cast of characters, one of which being an Olympic diver hopeful, a model who's been pressured by her mother, and then just your standard comic book dork. Yeah, the comic book dork. And I think uh, even Stephen Hopkins has admitted that that's basically him. Uh, he, <laughs> he was kind of the comic book guy in, in high school, and, and that's the character that sort of reflects that. You want to talk some production, Graham? Um, talk a little design. Yeah, because Stephen Hopkins came from a design background, um, like Rennie Harlan, he's a really uh, visual guy. Um, and so was Chuck Russell, uh, from, from the director from Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. And so they really brought, here's, I would say, sort of uh, the common theme between 4 and 5 is that their scripts suck. But what they lack in a story, they definitely try to make up for in style. Um, if you're not a fan of style over substance, you'll probably hate this movie. Um, but um, since Stephen Hopkins is from England, he brings that real kind of gothic uh, vibe to it. Uh, gargoyles hanging off buildings in Springwood, Illinois. So uh, you know that an English director is, uh, is uh, making that movie whenever you see gargoyles. Uh. Here's the thing that I want to say, and I know we were talking about design. I had trouble paying attention because some of the scenes didn't make any sense. And so it's like I would start looking at it and going, oh, that kind of looks cool because I don't know what these people are talking about right now. And that would be for like 30 seconds. And then it would jump scenes and be like, okay, well, this scene makes more sense. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like it was so sporadic and, uh, and damaged that I almost watched it for how it looked rather yeah. than what, what it actually was. It, it feels rushed. Like they didn't have much time to, to make sense of it all, so they just kind of put it together. I mean, I think that was a wet print. 
when they took it to the theater. Wet print meaning that it had just come off the editing bay. Uh, uh, they they had no time to finish it, and to me, I, I know exactly what you're what you're saying. It feels rushed. It feels uh, uh, I feel cheated. I feel cheated because I feel like you and I could have made a movie about Freddy Krueger being a dad so much better. Oh yeah, um, we would make a killer uh, Freddy film, Rob. But there are some highlights. I just want to polish this turd just a little bit. It probably has my fr- my favorite kill in all of the Freddy movies. Go uh, for it. Okay, this scene is with Dan the Man. Dan the Man, uh, Alice's boyfriend. And he's a big motorcycle guy. And he gets on this dark, vacant highway. And he starts just cruising. I'm going to stop you for one second. He's on a mission. Okay, now who is he trying to save again? He's trying to save Alice, right? I don't really remember, but he's either running from or trying to save. I love it. This speaks volumes about the film because you just watched this. I know. And so the the motorcycle, the the burning chrome starts to to meld into Dan's flesh. And it truly is just this horrific sight. And if I could give it just like the greatest compliment it belongs on the cover of a slayer record you know what i'm saying rob yeah i mean it is just again it's just this flesh melding with metal and it's terminator-esque but more grotesque yeah it's like an hr giger terminator film yeah and it's it's just so unique and just has such a great comes from such a great imagination and that's sort of the key to all the freddy films is that all these kills sort of give way for the artist's imagination you know to to kind of do these these wacky scenes and this happens to be just i think probably my favorite yeah that one's really cool and then later on when it jumps to him being in the truck and freddy's like don't drink and drive and then like ripping off his arm and stuff and and a oh good message. God. I mean, Freddie always has this sort of subversive good message for all the kids out there watching nightmare films. And that's, you know, in this instance, don't drink and drive. That's true. Uh, nastiest kill in this film has got to be uh, Greta, the model's death, where Freddie force feeds her a meal until she blows up like, what's her name? Uh, Violet Beauregard. In the cut scene, they actually, Freddy starts feeding uh, parts of herself to her. He's like, really? Yeah, um, you can watch it. Uh, there's a, uh, on the special features of number five. And basically, Freddy's like dipping his claw into her uh, open stomach and, and taking the food that's in there and feeding it back to her. And it's, it's the most disgusting thing ever. Like, uh, it's amazing if you're into that thing. I mean, it, it, well, like, like I, me, it's amazing. <laughs> and I find it funny that they told her, you know, because that's some major prosthetics on her face when her cheeks swell up, that she's not allowed to eat anything or if she does, drink through a straw because, you know, they didn't want to have to redo the makeup or whatever. But she ended up eating, like, spaghetti that day because she figured she could slurp it through. And, like, there was a well of marinara sauce that was, like, sitting under her chin all day, and it started getting rancid. And I always thought that was a funny story. Yeah, you, like, when you watch actors, they usually do, like, maybe one heavy prosthetic scene in their career, because they'll never do it a second time. 
All right, so Graham, this is the lowest grossing film of the series, and that's probably due to it being released, what, four months after the one before it? That and it uh, being stupid. I mean, it's... Ah, uh, yes. It's just a horrible a, idea. It's a, it's a goofy, dumb movie. Um, the, the whole thing of Freddy having a baby, Avatar kind of thing like they did in number two... It just doesn't work. It's just lame. It's such a lame script. And again, Stephen Hopkins, good director. He did Predator 2, my favorite in the series. Uh, I want to see some hate mail over this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get it. But, but no, it's, it, it's, it's, there are some flashes of brilliance in this film. Sure. I mean, we didn't even talk about the stop motion animation scene with the dive. That was brilliant. Yeah, that was cool. And it always reminded me that stop motion animation on the actual diving board itself always reminded me of the bridge from Evil Dead 2. And I always stand by stop motion animation, um, especially for creature films, because it gives it an otherworldly vibe. You know, it, it looks like it's not from this world, like it should. It, it doesn't move like us. Because you know it's fake, but it's like, uncomfortable in how it moves. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's a Freddy film. It's a dream. That's what it's it's not supposed to make sense. Some things to look forward to in the next episode. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 6, Freddy's Dead. Uh, not really. There was a Part 7. Um, but it was the first and only Nightmare on Elm Street film to be shot in 3D. Gotta love everything that's ever happened in 3D film. So, Graham, I'm excited for Freddy's Dead. Uh, I was not excited for Dream Child, but we got through it, and uh, maybe people can just like listen to this episode if they want to skip through it, or if they would really like to watch that film, they might want to take out some time and watch it in increments. So yeah, next week we got part six. Stay tuned. We're in October. It's 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 tis the season. Uh, Only got a few weeks left, man. I know. So um, celebrate the season. Watch a bunch of horror films. Watch some Freddy films. And visit our uh, visit our iTunes page. Give us a, a review. It really helps us out. It bumps us up in those charts. And you know we're going to be sinking in those charts after the Halloween season. So we're just going to need to get as high as we can right now. Yeah, and if you got to be negative in those comments, man. Do, I mean, I can handle it. We'll live from yeah. the negativity. I mean, so far you're all just so very positive. So thank you for that. But, you know, if you're going to be negative, send it directly to the email, pumpkinspicepodcast at gmail.com. But if you're going to be positive, only put the positive ones online because uh, who gives a shit, right? Well, yeah, who gives a shit? Just be honest. Be true to yourself, as uh, Tommy Wiseau would say. That's true. He'd also say, hey, Mark. <laughs> so, something odd and, uh, and weird. Yeah. Um, okay. speaking, speaking of that really quickly, Rob, well, in the episode, by me saying that uh, when we're talking about the room, I have a football signed by Greg Sestero. Oh, man. Uh, Mark from the well, room, if you're not a fan. We, but if you're we, not a fan, you should go watch that fucking movie, man. It's amazing. Watch for the rose petals to fall off the woman's back. Anyway, um, Graham, thanks for recording this one with me, and uh, I guess we'll see everyone next week.